Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. I'm your host, Brian. Hey, thanks for listening in. This is Robert. Hey, I'm Zach. Join us for each episode as we apply the gospel to dive into the inner workings of the Christian faith. Are you agnostic or atheist and want to understand Christianity better? Want to learn more about Jesus? Discuss the differences between the modern and early churches? or maybe explore some of the Bible's most interesting characters, then we hope you'll join us in Achieving Christian Thought. Okay, so everybody, thanks for joining us um, uh, on this episode. Sorry, we've been going off on some wild tangents here uh, before the start of this. But uh, no, thank you for joining. Um, again, I've got Zach and Robert with us. And, hey, uh, hello. And so, yeah, uh, last time we talked about the Council of Nicene, um, we solved a lot of problems through the Council of Nicene, we, we solidified a lot of the gospel, and we, we made some decisions, but I think now we're going to get more into kind of the opposite side of that coin. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Zach, Robert, take it away. Okay, so... Um... <laughs> scares me every time. This chair should not go back that far. <laughs> For everyone who does not, who, who did not see that, okay, uh, this cat, we were in some like 1970s chairs, and and Brian just leans back and he almost flipped over. They go back further than <laughs> what you think that they should. He just that said was... we're gonna flip the coin on this. And he went for it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Okay, All right, we're, back. we're <laughs> <laughs> but we're back. Um, so. So one of the things that kind of highlights, it's kind of, a, in a way, it's a sort of a prerequisite um, for the Council of Nicaea um, was um, Constantine and his conversion to Christianity. Um, there's been debate on both sides of the uh, playing field whether or not he was truly a believer uh, or whether it was just... Um, him seeing the times that he was in, seeing the uh, landscape on the horizon of what the empire was looking like, what was happening, and that he just saw that Christianity was booming, despite uh, all the um, decrees, despite all the persecution, the church was still moving forward, and so he hopped on the bandwagon. Um, so there's basically two camps. Some people believe that it was purely based on... Uh, uh, political motivations for his conversion, quote-unquote conversion. And then there's other people who believe that he actually was a genuine believer. Um, at the end of the day, Constantine knew, knows, knew, knew, knew where he was. Noted. Noted. <laughs> That's a good southern word. He noted where he was. But um, And then obviously Jesus and all them knew where he was standing um, and where he stands now. Um but that leaves us with a debate here of it's kind of like the pros and cons of Christianity becoming a state religion um because there are there were most definitely good things that happened from this from his conversion and from Christianity being legalized because hey who likes to be persecuted all the time nobody um, so yeah, it was definitely good to not be persecuted anymore. But on the flip side of that, you had the birth of Arminianism, um, or not Arminianism, excuse me, Arianism and Marconianism, which is another early church heresy uh, by the uh, bishop named Marcon, um, basically who believed that the Old Testament depicted one God and the New Testament depicted another God. And and basically threw off all Jewish uh, belief, her, uh, doctrine, and things of that nature in favor of the New Testament. And anything that kind of bridged the gap between the Old and the New Testament, he was against it. Basically kind of like saying there was basically like Greeks now had their own Christian religion and didn't need the Jewish traditions at all. In a nutshell. I mean, there's probably way more to it than that, but that was the other big heresy of that time period um 
so you have these heresies that now um, to believe those things, you had repercussions for those. You could be uh, ostracized. You could be expelled from the empire. You could lose your civilian or uh, citizen status and things of that nature, which in that day and time were huge things. Um, so I open up the floor to Robert, and if he wants to participate, Brian. Um, and I will say this. I will say that, yes, there was good things that happened from Christianity being uh, recognized as a state religion. But at the same time, there's also some bad things. It didn't happen overnight, but the seeds were sown for the Catholic Church to take root. And, of course, you have hundreds of years before between the Council of Nicaea, even though they would say otherwise, Catholic Church actually says that they've been in existence for a, since the time of uh, Peter, I believe, if not before then, um, in their reconstru- reconstructed version of church history. Um, but really, in actuality, it's from this point you have about 400 years, give or take a couple hundred years before the Catholic Church really starts to see its momentum move forward. Um, but, so, I would say, yay, good, we're not being persecuted anymore, but we set, set, set the groundwork for the Roman Catholic Church, which we all know is historically not a good thing. If you look in the Middle Ages, you look in the late... Uh, six, they, had they had some issues. There was some... There was some authority issues that they had that if you challenged their authority, they burned you at the stake. Kind of like, you know, like that shouldn't happen, but hey, they did it anyways. So that's my two cents at the beginning of this discussion, and we can see where we go from there. Robert. All right. So, yeah. So uh, just the basic discussion, uh, you know, the pros and the cons of Christianity becoming christendom now that's very important to separate those two words uh for the sake of our discussion uh i'm assuming i'm on the same page with these guys when we say christianity we're talking about the legitimate gospel the message that yes jesus came died it's what we believe it's what we hold to christendom is dumb but uh, <laughs> <laughs> i like the way like, you went oh, there to coin it dum 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 but uh dum, christendom is a Christianized version of pop culture. That's the institute that has the power. That is uh, anything that you want to have in power throughout any part of history. That's the pagan empire. That's uh, the count's castle up on a hill. That's um, the the tyrannical government trying to crush people by the power of its media. Um, People, uh, Zach already mentioned, people being burned at the stake simply for being different from the rest of society. Individualism crushed, diversity dismantled, and they duct tape a cross on the front. That's Christendom. And that's one thing uh, right out of the bat, I'll I'll say it in defense of my own faith, is that's one thing that we're constantly having to combat with people who know history, who know that um, by affiliation we seem to be guilty of uh, burning women at the stake. We seem to be guilty of tossing scientists into prison for having the audacity to think um, and all these other horrible things. And the sad thing is we get the bad rap because we are Christians coming out of a culture that has been influenced and empowered by Christendom for so long. That was the thing that had power. And what the problem is when you have power and that's one of my biggest cons against the idea that it became the state religion was whenever you have a source of power, whatever it is, the people who want that power for all the wrong reasons will come to it like moths to a, to a flame. And so that's why you had people trying to become emperor back when Rome was the thing. Uh, people in Europe wanting to become the king. Uh, ancient Europe, people uh, dressing up as uh, Vikings, the Norse coming down to attack other villages to get power, to get more land, to get more serf, that's uh, more servants, uh, become powerful. And so when uh, Western society duct taped the cross to its front, the cross is where you had to go to get power. Now the irony is they threw the name of Jesus around and he actually became kind of uh, the Mickey Mouse of the Western uh, expansion movement that put Put the two ears on something, and you know Walt Disney branded it. 
if you put the cross on this, you know, that now we're serving uh, Mickey Jesus, and this is our <laughs> icon of power. And anything wrong that has ever happened in the Western civilization throughout a mass span of time, almost a thousand to fifteen hundred years, it's all been in the name of Jesus. And what they meant by that was not what we mean by that now. Today, biblically, if you do something in the name of Jesus, it is something Jesus himself would actually want you to do. You're doing it by his authority. Such as going out and baptizing people who genuinely want to be believers, who genuinely have committed their life to Jesus. That's something that he would be for. Exactly. Um, helping the uh, widows, um, serving orphans, giving people hope. Uh, the very people who were burned at the stake, who were thrown in prison, you know, finding them, setting them free, giving them a purpose, giving them a place to exist in this world, knowing that they are created by God. These are all things genuinely in Jesus' name. But throughout history... Not slaughtering... Not... No. No, no, no. Now, it's not as cool. It's not a good Michael Bay movie, but it is <laughs> actually sincerely in the name of Jesus, as opposed to Western history and the Christendom that has been over the, the culture for so long, for so many centuries. And back, back then, what they meant was if it's in the name of Jesus, those were just, you know, a few letters, J-E-S-U-S, that didn't really mean anything to them, but they're doing it really in the name of their own power and what has power at this moment is the church so to the church we must go if we want to have it and to abuse it and so now um even though jesus has been nothing but you know um the great lover of the world the savior of the world the champion of those who have been tossed aside now his name has been run through the mud because of the very people he died to save, mm -hmm. ironically. The people who spit on him, the people who rejected him, now use his name as an icon to become powerful. And that has been much of the history of Christendom. And so um, my, my quick two cents uh, to summarize it, and we can get into the details together for the rest of the episode, but my two cents is to say the the pros of course is that christians are no longer killed zach said it i definitely agree with it the less Yay. people die a horrible death the better that should go without saying in any <laughs> civilized conversation uh any civilized conversation but um the that's definitely the pros and um i believe and uh as a christian looking at history believing that god had his sovereign hand on everything going on even though humans had their free will um, it was a back and forth every day, every minute of every day. But um, providentially, it's great for it, God's timing was probably spot on for that, because if it had continued and I'm talking by it, I mean, the, the early era of persecution, if it had continued, we probably wouldn't have any more Christians. They would have just died out quicker and quicker until, you know, the, the death finally hit the spread. And then the very last person who knew the gospel would pass and any and any hope of anyone else hearing the story would be gone so that was definitely a, a, a much needed turn of the tide when you're no longer um killed simply for believing in christ but and so that's a definite pro but now the con comes in well and i just want to put in here because i know listeners will probably scream at us um if i don't say this but because uh, i know what you mean but just in case they don't like Obviously, we're not trying to diminish the plight because there are several places in the world where Christians are still being slaughtered. Even yes. Today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so not to diminish the plight that they're going through. Oh, no, no, absolutely right. not. But, yeah. yeah. No, thank you for that. Yeah, if, to clarify for anyone who might have thought that, but, uh, yeah, historically, um, I mean, it was a great turning point. Um, at the time, uh, the West was the great uh, concentration of Christianity as it was spreading. And so for those who were first hearing the message, it was a great turning point because persecution um, of that kind in that early era came to an end. And so uh, we talked about um, the Council of Nicaea last week. It was a great opportunity to uh, sit down without the fear of being killed for it <laughs> and chisel out the details, the, the necessary important details of what the faith is, of who he is, what he came to do, what the Christian faith is all about. Um, that those things are definite pros and uh, to get to the cons of it is as the church continues to have flourishing as the church continues to become accepted in society the church falls 
to as it as it slowly fades from what we would consider the spiritual legitimate church and it slowly fades into this worldly institution kind of like the YMCA <laughs> it's got this organization it has uh, memberships it has buildings um, as it fades into this new definition of the church this is now the Roman Empire's beloved Christianized church it becomes a, a subject of materialism it becomes that that flame I mentioned where the moths gather and so you have the the gospel of Christ uh, tainted not not that the gospel itself could ever be tainted but it's muddied by the the wicked actions of wicked people because we all have our free will and so that was definitely a con is while the gen genuine sincere Christians could get serious about their faith without having to cut their lives short those who would come into the fold for all the wrong reasons just because it was hip because it was the new bandwagon mm -hmm. Those were the people who were going to sully a lot of what the sincere Christians wanted to do. And that sulliness would, you know, can just continue to grow and grow and grow until it hit a turning point. And so it was always kind of a balancing act, mm -hmm. a balance between human free will, um, God's sovereign hand on things. And not to go down that rabbit hole this time, that's a conversation <laughs> for its own episode, perhaps a whole series of them that... It's just Alice in Wonderland out here, but, <laughs> but just suffice it to say, history itself just kind of suffices to show that balancing act. You've got the pros, you've got the cons. I read somewhere that um, the earliest emperors actually offered wealth to people who wanted to join. If you were willing to be baptized physically into the institutional church, um, there was there were actual perks to uh, becoming recognized as a Christian in order to. Uh, normalize this new church society to normalize that won't have no negative implications at all oh no none. none and uh the whole history of the church has been sweet potatoes and unicorns ever since but but yeah just kind of <laughs> ta tagging in on on a little bit of what robert was saying it's kind of like it what one thing that did happen from this is there was confusion as far as like what does it mean to be a christian uh, because what we would say and what the Bible would say is that every single person who believes upon the name of Jesus asks for forgiveness of sins, that is a person who has became a Christian. Now, whenever you have a created an institution, there is great confusion because, oh, well, I'm of the Ro Roman Republic, which is Christian, therefore I am Christian. And you're not Christian because you're following Jesus, you're a Christian because, well, I'm a, Rome, I'm a Roman citizen, therefore I'm a Christian. That's what we are. That's what we do. And so there's that misconception that's, that arises from that. Maybe not in the beginning. Maybe that there was still enough of that church uh, bodyment of, of believers that kind of helped flourish the first couple hundred years. But as time progressed you had this misunderstanding of what Christianity is. And so your mom and dad are a Christian, therefore you're a Christian. I mean, we ha we still have that same idea to this day that's propagated from Christendom. It's like kind of like the leftovers. I mean, you know, we still we still um have that issue. And 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 sometimes one of the biggest hang-ups is talking to someone who went to church you know, and done all the right things, but never accepted Jesus as their Savior, trying to convince them that they are actually not a true Christian because they've not actually embraced Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because if you don't do that, then you are not a Christian. You might have been baptized, you might attend church, you might receive communion, but until you actually receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're you're not a Christian, and I and this uh, event this took place began began to erode that personal responsibility of accountability to God, and so then it became like just this cultural acceptance of yep yeah, I'm a Christian because my mom and dad and brother and sister and aunt and uncle are you know, and and that creates a confusion that still exists to this day and a lot of times some of the confusion like if someone who's not a believer um gets exposed to these people who 
you know, are righteous in their own sight and this and that and cultural Christianity, they get exposed to this false idea of what Christianity is and they get condemned for their choice of whatever instead of seeing someone as a fellow sinner and needing the same grace and forgiveness they've received. And it just puts this bad taste in people's mouths. And if Christianity, in its essence, says that, hey, you're a sinner, and that is the reason why you don't want to believe, that's one thing. If you, you know, if you come to an understanding of who God is, who Jesus is, and you choose to walk away because you understand what those things are, versus you've been browbeated, this and that, or what have you, and humiliated because you don't do something that society says you should do, and they call themselves Christians, but they're not really Christians, then that creates this whole different issue that you have to even tackle. It's like you're, you've been, you've been, I won't say offended, but you've been traumatized by something that may not actually be what Christianity is, if that makes sense. You've been exposed to a lie, and you've, you don't really know what the truth is. Because the truth is, God loves you, and he wants to redeem you. And in that redemption, there is a change of lifestyle. There is, but those things come after salvation. Those things don't come before. You will never get your ducks in a row. They, they, those things are freaking sinners, and they have no point of reference, and they will never get in a row, ever, 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 never. Ever, Zach? Never. <laughs> never. But, uh, yeah, uh, riding off what Zach said, I mean, he made a, an excellent point. Is One of the scabs that have been left on the, sin of, uh, the skin of Christianity because of, you know, the years and years we've had of this public persona that we call Christianity. Uh, if, you, if you bought, uh, you know, a book on religions in Barnes & Noble or any other bookstore today and cracked that open, uh, what would be in the Christianity chapter would be this concept of Christendom. And be, because of that, those of us who proclaim the faith today um, always have to be ready to uh, uh, get past any negative stereotypes based on people we never met who uh, never really believed what we believed but rode the pony to, to get where they're going. And, uh, I mean, the people do it today in different spheres. Uh, Christendom is no longer in power like it used to be. Now you have people going into politics and it doesn't matter their party or any of their positions who they are as an individual there are people who are warped and greedy uh, throughout the they're all, all the way across the spectrum in every corner of the political world just trying to get power same concept different symbol we no longer have uh, mickey jesus on our podiums instead we have totally different what you what you would call secularized symbols and it's the same concept but, you know, in a hundred years, any sincere politician would have to apologize for what they have done. And now the, the Church of Christ, be, due to association, is constantly having to apologize for those things as well and help to correct any false perceptions of what the church really is. And per, perhaps, and Zach said it, and I'll repeat that, is because I totally agree. If there's anyone out here hearing this episode the church that you hate or want to avoid or may have become apathetic about may not actually be the church Jesus talked about. You may have a false view of the church that you you might actually be running towards the real one away from the false one and not even realize it. Um, to be a little more dramatic with what we've said, because drama can be my spiritual gift at times. Amen. Amen. But... Uh, you know, what we have, thanks to Christendom, and it's a very sarcastic roll of the eyes, thanks. What we have, thanks to Christendom, is we have this beautiful, glorious gift of legacy. The world has, uh, many, many people across the whole world have heard the name of Jesus. Now, if you look at his history and who he was from a worldly perspective, he has no business being on the lips of people on the other side of the planet 2,000 years later of a different color, of a different language, and yet there he is uh, on one level thanks to Christendom. It spread his name. It spread the book. It spread 
the basics of the message, even though the message has been tainted by human human hearts. But we have that beautiful gift of legacy. And on the other flip side of the coin, after after that 70s chair falls back and you hit the floor, the bottom side of that chair, <laughs> nice. bottom side of that chair is on top of that beautiful gift of legacy, we have the absolute horrible, nasty chaos of legacy. Mm-hmm. And and so you were constantly having to see the ways that the, the message was tainted and the ways that the message was preserved through the horror. And uh, the Reformation, not to get ahead of ourselves, but the Reformation was definitely uh, God's way of preserving the true message when the time was right, when that boiling water got to a turning point and the, the foam started to fly out of the pot. Uh, you know, the Reformation was used to finally turn the heat down. And, of course, the Reformation had its flaws as well. There are several people who had uh, warped opinions about what the gospel is coming out of the, the Catholic Church that got established at the, in the day. But that was absolutely necessary in order to change the trajectory of what occurred. And you see this, um, and I'll, I'll talk about uh, biblical history, you know, the things that occurred in the pages of the Bible, going beyond that into the pages of history itself. You see these times when God does intervene to preserve the integrity of something that goes off the rails. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah, um, we were talking about it personally off air just a few moments ago. Oh, if you could have been a fly on the wall for that conversation. <laughs> yeah, imagine like if Joe Rogan became a Christian and just started ranting and raving about giants and aliens and and Noah. <laughs> it was awesome. And genetics. <laughs> Don't forget genetics. Genetics and mice. Yes. Um but uh, what we were talking about a little bit was, you know, when Sodom and Gomorrah got out of hand, God intervened. Um, he never wants to destroy his own creatures, but he had to do that in order to preserve the history of the world that would co- come after that from a greater evil. Fast forward to uh, uh, or back up to Noah's day. That came first. He wiped out the planet during the days of Noah, avoiding a necessary evil. He wiped out the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were necessary evils. Um, he uh, cleansed the uh, nation of Israel in Moses' day. He gave them the law. He separated the good from the bad. Many people fell to plagues at the hands of the Old Testament God, but those people would have tainted the religion to such a point where the rest of the story would not have come out the way it should have if he had not taken action. And then you fast forward to Jesus' day. Now, here's the irony. People were abusing the name of Moses when Jesus was alive on the earth the same way today people abuse the name of Jesus. The Pharisees of Jesus' day were saying, well, and if you know who, who I'm talking about, um, uh, if you don't, that's, that's, there's plenty of time to learn about it. But these were the religious leaders. They were basically saying in Jesus' day, well, if I was alive during the days of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Joel. Again, if you don't know the names, they're famous Old Testament names. We, our generation, would have never persecuted those prophets the way our ancestors did. And what they don't realize is they're looking back. They have those books of the Old Testament. They already know those prophecies came true. They already know that those names are names of men who were used by God and so they're looking back. They don't have the luxury of the people who are living at that time, the persecutors. And so then God himself shows up so much higher than a prophet. And the same Pharisees who are scoffing at the, the killers of Isaiah, uh, according to tradition, he was captured and cut in half. Woo! Cut in half. And they were mocking those people for being wicked. And then they turn around and nail Isaiah's God to a piece of wood. Now, if that doesn't capture the human heart, I don't know what else does. And so we would never do that. And so now you have today, you have people saying the same about Jesus. If I was at Calvary, ooh, I would have taken him off the cross. I would have fought off the Romans. I never would have denied him. You so have, said Peter. So said Peter. And you, you, would, you have no way of really knowing that. I almost guarantee that the, the reactions we would have to him if we had lived through that day, if we didn't have the advantage of hindsight if we weren't looking back we have his name on paper in hymns we have hundreds of years of good positive history on top of all the bad to lead us to this 
assurance of how the story ends. If we were living during the story, if we saw Jesus perform one miracle in the middle of an afternoon, uh, headed towards where the story was headed, you know, only God knows what our reaction would have been because every heart is darkened. Every heart has its fall. Yeah, I mean, we might, it, it could be a true blessing for us to live in this day and age to where, you know, we're we're spiritually spoiled. You know, we can open up a phone and and download an app and go to a bookstore, even even you know a secular bookstore, and get you know two three different translations. You can go anywhere. You can go to uh, some of the the secondhand stores and get Bibles and 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 so forth. And and we just are just so fortunate. And we often think that, you know, like kind of what Robert said, if we would have been in those days, we would have done things different. We would have acted. And I thank God that I'm born in this time. Yes, I'm a lazy American. I won't deny it. I am a lazy American. And I should exercise a whole lot more and drink less coffee. Uh, but besides that, um, the reality of it is, is if we lived in that time, we might have been the ones knowing been confident in putting the nails in Jesus's hands and we might be very very grateful that God and his sovereignty allowed us to be born in this time so that we would embrace him you know at our various whenever we, at various points of you know at different ages because I came to the faith at 23 and Robert you know earlier and, and, and Brian earlier as well you know we may not have went came to the faith if we lived back in those days and those times and it's just like just give thanks to the God that has all wisdom to let us be born in the time that we're born in and not take that for granted and and uh, just kind of land circle the plane back around to the subject at hand you know obviously we look at the benefits and we look at the negative aspects of Christianity becoming um, the uh, state religion and, and then you know giving birth to the Catholic Church later on down the road. But if that hadn't happened, kind of like what Robert was saying, now, I mean, obviously at the end of the day, God knows what exactly would have happened. I mean, you know, church could have even preserved it under persecution, and then the Roman Empire fell, and then we could have picked up the people. I mean, no one, we're we're literally playing, you know, guess, guess what could have happened. And, And the reality of it is, you know, is that we don't know and and we are just we should be grateful if if i say that correctly be grateful for the way it did happen not for the horror not for the horrors and the travesties that did happen under the name of christendom not christianity but christendom because now we have true people true believers that can say those things ought not have happened jesus said there's two Great commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, uh, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the Pharisee, a guy that, a really super religious leader at the time, said, well, who's my neighbor? And, you know, the question is, who's our neighbor? You know, it's the, the people who are witches. It's the people who have different sexual orientation. It's the people who would not step foot in a church and say that they're atheists or say they're agnostic. Those are our neighbors. It doesn't mean that we, you know, take part and practice in what they do, but we show them Christ's love and realizing that there's no difference except for the mercy of God in our lives and their lives. And there's at no point should I myself ever get up on a high horse and look down upon someone because of their different life choices, but instead offer a hand of of brotherhood or sisterhood and try to tell them the truth. And then if they choose to reject it based upon the truth, then that's their choice. But if they're basing that upon a lie, kind of like what I said earlier, then then you're not even familiar with what the Christianity is. And then at least then then if you know the truth and you're rejecting it based upon what it actually is, then you can say you've made a true choice. Whereas if if you 
think you've been exposed to something and you truly haven't and you reject it based upon that, then you've not really experienced Christianity. You've not really experienced the truth. But if you come and you talk to someone and you reject it based upon that, then you have true knowledge and you say that I've truly rejected it based upon facts, not based upon uh, Christendom, not based upon emotion, not based upon the, some of the travesties that happen under the name of Christianity or Christendom, I should say. And so to kind of circle back or, or to piggyback on that and to kind of tie in what Robert said earlier, um, what would you say to someone out there, um, and I guess both of your takes on it, someone who has been hurt by this I guess idea of Christianity but not like real Christianity but they've been involved in some of these churches who mm -hmm. don't really stick true to the gospel or um, you know they, they've been in they've been hurt mm -hmm. um, very badly by, by some of these things out there and you know we're trying to tell them oh we'll come back to the true Christianity, the mm -hmm. true church and mm -hmm. what's believed, um, how would someone who's been damaged by that go, go about getting plugged back in, rebuilding that trust? Um, because, you know, I guess, you know, someone who's lost that trust mm -hmm. or who's been hurt by that, mm -hmm. even coming into a good church, mm -hmm. you know, a, a good church is still run by broken people, still right. run by sinners. You mm -hmm. know, even, even the best churches out there, mm -hmm. they make mistakes because, you know, they're run by broken people. We all right. are. Right. So so what would you say to, to someone who's trying to heal, trying to recover from that and who may want to maybe step a toe back in mm -hmm. but doesn't know where to begin yeah that's that's a great question um you know the one thing that i would always probably i would say the first step that i mean thinking of this the first step is if you do not have one is to go out and purchase a bible First and foremost, and make sure it's something that you can read. You know, you know this is just hands-on. Um, and then just begin, and it sounds as crazy as it is, but it's literally legit. Just start reading it, like the book of John, and, and then start asking the question, did, my, did the church that hurt me so bad, does it represent this? You know, as you grow in the scriptures, as you read the scriptures, does my the, the church that hurt you, did it actually represent this Christianity? I would say that's first and foremost. Um, second thing, and Robert might be a better uh, source on this one, but it is to to meet up with a pastor, you know, if it's at the church that you go to and talk to him. You know, not necessarily in the era of con con confrontation, um, but like, hey, you know, I, I feel like this is not what Jesus taught. You know, is are you accurate? I mean, you know, is this biblical? You know, and and you know, obviously, you know, that can go in a hundred different directions, potentially. But that would be the first two things that I would say. Start there, and and um, and then Robert, if you have any other ideas, that would be fantastic. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm joking. That would have been anticlimactic. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean, um, <clears throat> Zach's already covered the 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 personal um, application part. Finding a finding a, a, a especially a version of the Bible that you can understand, please. Don't try to trot through anything that's too archaic. Sixteen, eleven, King James. Amen. Nothing other. Um, but yeah, definitely start in the, the easier to digest portions. Get to the very heart of it. Look at Jesus. Um, I want to focus to not just to repeat what Zach is saying, add to it, but uh, the the relational aspect of it. Because church, when it's healthy, is meant to be a family. 
And I've heard person after person after person personally, when they find out I'm a minister, they'll tell about times churches has hurt them. Hmm. Um, uh, I have a, a someone in my own family, and I won't get any more specific than that in case they hear this and go, what, you're trying to... <laughs> you're talking about me? <laughs> but uh, someone in my own family who is much older, uh, years before I was born, uh, this person tried a church, and they had to stop going to school after the fifth or sixth grade because his own parents had died and he had to take care of his younger siblings. And he was part of a Bible study. They called on him to read a passage. When they realized he could not read, they made fun of him and asked him not to come back if he could not engage. That is ridiculous. It that is blood boil to if, this day. If you, if, that, if you want to know an example of someone not living out the God, there's, there's an example right there. Wickedness. Because straight up, you know, that's just, I just want to punch that person in the face. Not not your family member, but the... the <laughs> punch that alert, man. <laughs> but no, literally, because what part of love your neighbor as yourself and, and, and show mercy to people? Oh, my goodness. I'm enraged. Oh, it does. It does. Like, so many years later, before I was even here, it's like, when I first heard that story, I was just... Well, oh no and they've pointed out this church it is in our town it is local and i'm like really oh my gosh someone and, needs to and you know what i guarantee you unless unless god has redeemed that place it's dead the church is dying yep i'm, I'm think it is so i mean I, this isn't graceful but my first thought was go ahead and just turn it into a walmart they're not doing any good but uh but you know you hear stories like this and especially when it hits the very people that you're closest to. And so uh, just the ways that the church is hurt, you might not be comfortable going to a church service because of that. Um, people have the idea, and the reason I was heading around this was, you know, a healthy church is a family. When you miss the church, when you're no longer engaged, you have lost a family. But people have become accustomed to the idea and a lot of times it's directly out of that hurt. They see it as an event. I've even heard one person, and I will quote them loosely. If I quote it too too much, they might find out I talked. But, uh, but loosely, they said, I know, and this is the person talking, I know that church, you're not there for each other. You're there just to hear the preacher and leave. And I said, well, what makes you say that? Not in an accusatory way. I was just engaging this person's thinking. And they said, well, the more you think about each other, the more you're going to fight, the more rude you're going to be, the more you're going to hurt each other. If I just hear the preacher and leave, there's no chance that someone's going to tear me apart again. And they said again. I was like, oh, no. And so just the idea that church is an event not only comes from Christendom, not only comes from the institutional idea of a service, it also comes from the idea that you're afraid to connect to other Christians now. And so I would encourage anyone who's afraid like that if you're not comfortable going into a wide service, at the very least, try to find two, three, four sincere believers that you actually know you can trust who what you call the cool ones who get it, um, who actually welcome you. And if you don't have them, I, I really pray that you find them. If you know them, um, I thank God for that. And so at least get into a uh, Bible study with them. They can actually guide you to the parts of Scripture that will help you to uh, engage your faith from the bottom up. Um, to help you to understand things that you probably wouldn't even have the guts to try to explore in a in a sea of fifty judgmental people. And <laughs> and one thing, and this sounds, and and this is practical, but for the Christian who's seasoned, it makes sense. But for someone who's still new and maybe doubts or whatever, but I'm going to say it because it's important, and it's to pray. And what I mean by that is, like, you literally say, Lord, show me the truth. Bring people into my life that truly have a love for the gospel and have a love for you. And and and, and the, the reality of this is, whenever you do that and you're sincere, God will honor that prayer and you will find, and there will be people that are, that even if you don't know them right now, you pray that prayer, they will find you. 
God will put it on people's heart. He, yeah. you know, and this, that's the part. It's like, you know, it, it's it's the um, it's the moving of the Holy Spirit that that is both terrifying and encouraging, because whenever you honestly, legitimate pray that prayer of God, put people in my path that truly know you, that truly love you, and truly want to see I, I want to see the truth I want to see what Christianity truly is they will put people in your path even if and here's the other thing reach out to us you can find us on Facebook I mean yeah. Yeah. I mean straight up uh, interact with us and 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 if we live in a different state we live in a different town you know we'll do something if if nothing else we'll help you find a good Bible believing church that you can get plugged into Oh yeah. So, if nothing else, reach out to us. <laughs> to, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I firmly believe just, and and I think anyone who's gone through the experience knows it's true. And so, I think people who have been hurt by so-called Christians or, or stuff like that that's mm-hmm. happened, um, when you tr- and we're all sinners, you know, right? None of us are perfect, um, but you can definitely tell when you do meet people or meet a group who are truly trying to apply the gospel and are truly making that effort Mm -hmm. you know it's it's totally different than people who are just like pretending or Mm -hmm. or maybe they believe that false christendom versus actual christianity the gospel um, it once you actually find a group who truly believe mm-hmm. and who are truly trying to practice and, and do that, you, you know, like yeah. there, there's no guessing. You know, it, it's very obvious, mm-hmm. um, and, and so you can kind of you can kind of trust yourself a little bit when you do meet those kind of people because right. it's such a different vibe, it's mm-hmm. such a different energy. Um, um, when you meet a, a group like that, that's true. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I mean, and that's just those are my two cents, you know, as far as it goes with that. Um, and Robert, do you have anything else with yeah, that? And McLean for us. Okay, so I mean that that does a phenomenal job of summarizing our thoughts on the true pros and cons of the fact that we got to live in a society coming out on the other end of the long tunnel of Christendom, uh, for good and for bad. Now, we have a lot of things in our track record, uh, conversations that have a lot of heat, um, I mean, for many different reasons, and, uh, you know, almost everybody, including the people in recording this podcast, as you've heard the stories, if you've listened to this episode in full, people are hurt by those who've manipulated the cross, and that was the the man who died upon it, the actual thing, he's not a symbol, he is a, he's a living being. And he is the the first one to condemn most of what's occurred in his name, and he won't let that go. Uh, that's that that is one good thing, one one positive, hopeful uh, idea about the idea that there is a a judgment day, a doctrine of a coming judgment. Is those people that got away with it didn't really get away with that. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a, there, everything in our hearts as human beings cries out for justice in those situations, and just the knowledge that they won't get away, but. If that is you, if you are someone who has been hurt and abused by the idea of Christian culture, Christendom, um, that's or or predators out there claiming to be Christian and have taken advantage of you. Oh yeah, and because uh, I would, I would, I would wish, I wish I could say that this would never happen, but God knows the truth that there have been plenty of monsters who have infiltrated the church and done horrendous things to people and because the the um, security was lax and God and God helped those people who don't repent and face the full wrath of God the very God they flaunted will be the God who leads to their destruction because of what they have done and they refused to repent. They abused his name. 
and that will be final justice. They got away with nothing. But for those of you out there who are listening, um, I mean, the possibilities are across the spectrum. Uh, so many people who may have been hurt by uh, Christendom or even just false Christian traditions that have placed, uh, you know, uh, condemnation above grace into the distortion of the gospel. Um, and we've covered so many different ideas. If you're a woman who sees the history of the, the witch trials and you believe that there's no place for the church because for a woman to find a place in the world. If you're someone who came to a church as a child and you were touched and molested by someone you thought you could trust, if you're someone in the LGBT community who's been made to seem as if you're less than human by a very, very overzealous group of people, if you're any of those people and beyond, we could continue listing examples, but it would only just beat the dead horse. If that is you in any way, my hope and prayer is that you find the man who died on that symbol that the people have been abusing. He's not Mickey Mouse, and someday those people will realize that. And for those of you who are guilty of such things, my only hope is that you realize he's not a symbol before it's too late. And so that's the, the, the thing about, someone said, uh, the story of the prodigal son, there's a good guy and a bad guy, and usually we preach from the good guy's perspective. Jesus is hope for the person who's been downtrodden. One thing that we forget is, He's here for all people. He is the one who helps the downtrodden, and he is the person who forgives the thief who beat up the, the, the person in the story and then repents. And so there's hope on both sides of the spectrum. There are people in the church on both sides of the spectrum, the hurt and the hurtful. And Jesus came to save us all because he's, he's the only way of peace. Uh, governments can use force, coercion, laws, but Jesus changes the heart. And the great hope is someday... It's a, it's a promise straight out of Isaiah. The government will be on his shoulders. The government won't be trying to flout him anymore. He will be the government. And that will be a glorious day because he'll be changing hearts from the inside out. But uh, that is the great beauty and the chaos of a Christ-like legacy when the culture is Christianized, but thankfully we know his name. All right. Perfect, guys. Well, um, thank you. This is another really great episode. Uh, to the listeners out there, again, um, Achieving Christian Thought Podcast on our Facebook page, and then theactpod.com is our website. And uh, yeah, we'd love to interact with you. Um, thank you, Zach. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. And, oh, yeah. And uh, we will be with you all on the next episode.